Well, welcome to week number three of Don't Miss Moments as we journey through the Gospel of Luke. If you've missed the first two weeks and missed those moments, you can find those sermons online. We'd love to have you catch up. Week number one, the Don't Miss Moment of Jesus' baptism, uh, the significance of it, and the blessing baptism is for us. Last week, week number two, the temptation of Jesus in Luke number in chapter four uh, was what we talked about. And today, week number three, Don't Miss Moment, we're going to talk about a miracle of Jesus, one of the first miracles that he performed uh, as Luke records it for us. And, and to help us get into what we're going to talk about today, the focal point of this don't miss moment of Jesus' life, I want you to consider this acronym, the GOAT. Like, I don't know if you heard it or not, if you're Green Bay fans, you probably aren't too happy with it, but on Sunday, that old dude who lives in Florida decided to come back and play football. And the thing that you heard over and over and over again from all of the news networks, both sports and otherwise, was that the GOAT is coming back. The greatest of all time. Now, there's some of you here who just don't like Tom Brady. That's okay. There's others of you here who think Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers are greater. But most people would, would say and argue that what makes Tom Brady the GOAT is the seven rings that he wears. Like more Super Bowl victories than any NFL players ever had, and far more than any quarterback, toughest position in the league, he has produced over and over and over again. That debate rages in all sorts of different sports and areas of life. Who is the greatest? Like Tom Brady makes it really hard when you consider winning seven Super Bowls, but if you're a basketball fan, you understand that greatness and the greatest of all time is debatable, right? Based on your generation, you probably believe that someone different than the person next to you thinks about who is the greatest. I'm 49 years old. My generation of basketball is the 80s and 90s, and so Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. But if my son was here, he would get into a very strong argument and be very passionate about the fact that LeBron is greater. He's more skilled, more talented, more athletic, plays both sides of the ball, has his whole career, and teams have actually ganged up against him and formed super teams so that LeBron couldn't win. And if you're even older than I am, you probably heard of a guy named Wilt Chamberlain who actually scored 100 points in a game. That's pretty great. <laughs> like sometimes it's debatable, right? Who's the greatest of all time? And then you could talk about different areas of life and greatness. You might think of music and who's the greatest artist, what's the greatest album, who's the the greatest songwriter of all time, and, and that might cause a lot of debates in a group like ours at 922 Ministries. And there's one place I'm not going to go, I'm not going to have a debate on who's the greatest of all time presidents in the United States. Like there's probably a fist fight ready to break out right now. And here's the thing about greatness. Like people try and define it, right? And a lot of times it's very objective, but sometimes it's very subjective. Like, you could argue the greatest of all time in different sports, in different eras, even if rings aren't what you count. You can subjectively say more skill, more talent, didn't have the surrounding cast, maybe didn't have that coach. Which makes it really hard in defining greatness. It's really the question I want you to wrestle with today, but from a spiritual perspective. Because... We live in a world where people want to know what greatness is. They have a definition of it in their mind, 
Uh, how do you figure it out? And, and from a spiritual perspective, maybe there's no other person in history or time whose greatness has been more questioned or doubted than Jesus. Like there's skeptics and there were in his day. There's doubters and haters and there were in his day. Uh, there's people who have, have really wondered and questioned and want to know why is he so great and what makes him great. And so I propose to you today that I want to help you answer that question when it comes to Jesus. How do you define greatness? And to do that, we're going to dig into Luke chapter 7 and one of Jesus' first miracles. And one of the miracles that is probably the most defining moment. And, and what I want to leave you with today is uh, a definition of, of greatness when it comes to Jesus. That maybe you haven't considered before, maybe you haven't applied before. Maybe to help you see it differently. And then also, I want you to understand the significance of it. I mean, it's one thing to, to say Jesus is great. It's another thing and a more important thing for you to know why his greatness matters. And in Luke chapter 7, we see Jesus performing one of those miracles that stands out, in my opinion, above all the others. Now, I know a miracle is a miracle, right? <laughs> but some miracles that Jesus did are probably the best examples of what make him and define his greatness. So journey with me 2,000 years back in history to a city that Jesus was on his way into to help us answer the question, how do we define greatness in regards to Jesus? We'll begin with verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a large, went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And just stop and pause for a second. If you've read through Luke's gospel and our reading plan, if you've been here the last few weeks, Luke chapter 1 and 2 set the stage for Jesus' life. It's about his childhood. Luke records more than anybody does about Jesus' birth, about Jesus as a 12-year-old, uh, about Jesus and, and his family. Luke chapter 3 is John the Baptist and then Jesus' baptism. Luke 4 is Jesus in the wilderness. Luke chapters 5 and 6 contain all sorts of uh, information about Jesus' early ministry, calling of his disciples, some early opposition, a few miracles here and there, and some teachings of Jesus. So Luke's 5 and 6 kind of set the stage for Luke chapter 7. People have heard about Jesus. Some people have seen some miracles of Jesus. He healed Peter's uh, mother-in-law of a fever. He's, he's done some things that stand out, that set him apart, that people are wondering about who he is and what it means. And Jesus now is doing what Jesus did for three years straight, early in his ministry, going from city to city, preaching the gospel and interacting with people. And so Jesus and his disciples and a crowd that has started following him, his popularity has risen, people are maybe seeing some of the greatness, are on their way to a city called Nain, about five miles southwest of, of Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, so we're up in Galilee, about 25 miles away from Jesus' home base of Capernaum. Uh, so he's in the area where people had started hearing about him, uh, maybe heard a sermon from him, had maybe even seen him do something miraculous at this point already. And so the crowd, along with the disciples, are headed to the next destination where Jesus is probably going to do the same thing, preach the gospel and, and share the word of, of who he is and what he came to do. And as they're approaching the city, the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. We have one crowd of people moving into the city, a crowd probably 
uh, that had different conversations going on in different places. Like I'm guessing some in the crowd were talking about the last thing they had seen Jesus do and how amazing it was. Some other people, maybe the disciples, were, were having a debate or a conversation about the last teachable moment that Jesus had just delivered and, and what his message really meant. Others might have been laughing and, and smiling, celebrating uh, how people were, were, were seeing Jesus and maybe they just talked about the don't miss moment that they just saw. But that noise, that laughter, that joy quickly dissipated. Because as they were going in, another large crowd was going out. And a lot of times when large crowds were leaving city, it was because they were carrying a dead person. Like in the city of Appleton today, there are a whole lot of, of funerals that take place and they go to cemeteries that are in the city limits. But in Jesus' day, you didn't bury people in the city, you took them outside the city walls. And so that joy and laughter was quickly met with weeping and, and sadness and devastation. In fact, this don't miss moment of Jesus' life began with something that all of us would say was a moment we all like to miss. Because anyone and everyone who's ever lost someone they love understands there's nothing great about that. In fact, you'd probably say, I wish I never had to do that. And if you've done that, you probably went through it even though there was a part of you that said, I wish I didn't have to. And perhaps the worst part of what Jesus and his crowd encountered was a crowd of people with a woman who had lost her husband and now her only son. Perhaps the worst. Like, you know what people say in our world today? The worst thing that could happen to anyone is to outlive their kid. Like to bury one of your own. I've seen it and experienced that all of our pastors have to walk alongside somebody who's doing that. The heartache, the pain, the loss is about the worst. And that's the stage for the don't miss moment that we're going to talk about today. Luke goes on and records these words. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the, the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. This don't miss moment actually has two things I don't want you to miss. Now, if I told you to look at that again, could you identify them both? The odds are pretty good. The one that you wouldn't miss is the second one. Like Jesus and his crowd come head on into the crowd of, of people mourning the loss of this woman's son. And Jesus tells her, stop crying, touches the beer. It's an open casket. That's what they had in those days. And he speaks and says to the young man, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Like when we think about greatness, most of us would agree there's a whole lot of objectivity when it comes to defining the goat or greatness. 
And what Jesus did here is part of the definition. It's the what he did. (laughs) By simply speaking the words, Jesus stops this procession in their tracks and raises this man to life. And the crowd got it. They understood that this was a don't-miss moment, something they had never seen before. The, The crowd after this took place, said they were all filled with awe and praise God. They said, a great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help his people. They didn't miss it. They didn't miss what this meant, what was taking place. They understood uh, who was at work. But they kind of missed it a little bit. You see, for probably most of these Israelites, they remembered another man, a great prophet, who had done something similar. Now, maybe you don't remember Old Testament history. Maybe you forgot this lesson if uh, it was taught in Sunday school or in our, in our Christian grade school. But you remember a man named Elijah who was a great prophet, perhaps one of the greatest prophets of Old Testament history, 700 years before Jesus was born. And in the middle of a, a drought, in the middle of a whole lot of bad, Elijah went and lived with a widow in Zarephath. And she had one of those, I wish I could miss it moments. She lost her son. And that great prophet Elijah raised that son. But there was something that this crowd, perhaps most of them in it, were missing about the difference of what defines greatness when it comes to Jesus. If you read through the story of Elijah raising the widow of Zarephath's son, Elijah too touched him. But you know what else Elijah also had to do? Talk to him. Three times Elijah prayed, God, raise this boy. And do you know the difference in this story? Jesus didn't call out to God, pray to God, Do something, God. God, raise this child. No, Jesus simply said, get up. (laughs) Because he's God. And that's the moment I pray you don't miss. (laughs) Like in the midst of this story, sometimes if you're a lifelong Christian, you kind of glaze over it and you kind of think, yeah, this is Jesus. And Jesus is God and, and he does miracles. But you know what sometimes we miss in the moment is the significance of what was being done. Like Jesus had healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. And that's miraculous, but you know what a lot of people might have argued? Maybe her fever just broke on its own. Jesus didn't really do anything special, right? He's not really God. (laughs) And sometimes people will even say some of the most miraculous things of of Jesus' life, feeding of 5,000, that's kind of made up. Were there really that many people? Like, we can take a head count at church, but maybe the disciples exaggerated, and maybe they secretly had some food stored off to the side. But this moment is different. Because things like this don't happen. Like, I've presided over many funerals in my ministry. We have 10 to 20 of them a year at 922. And I see family members come up and they weep and they cry, sometimes talk to the person that they love, but not a single one of us could tell that person, get up. And they could do it. 
but he could. And he did. Three times in Jesus' ministry, he performed something that no one else could do. If you want to know a definition of greatness and you look it up in the dictionary, it goes like this. Greatness is defined as being larger than ordinary in size. I don't think that was Jesus, but larger in ability, larger in being higher in degree or importance. The quality or state of being great as in size, skill, achievement, and power. What Jesus did here, no one else can do has ever done. Like this man would have been dead. Not just a few moments dead and, and maybe miraculously brought back to life. People were not buried in that day and age until after a long period of time and a, a long drawn out funeral. Like there was no doubt that this man was dead. <laughs> And by simply speaking the words, he came to life. And I can't fathom that. Like, it's why the psalm writer, why King David said these words, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. The crowd got it. This man is a great prophet. They didn't identify him quite as God. God has sent somebody to help us. God's at work. And God's greatness, no one can fathom. Like Jesus' greatness is found in the fact that he is God and, and it's proven and reinforced that he's God because he did things only God can do. We call them miracles. And sometimes we do a disservice to God when we call a lot of things miracles. Like it was a miracle I didn't get into that accident. Maybe it's just because you got taught right in driver's ed school to turn into the Spin, <laughs> or maybe that's not the way, I'm not sure, but you got through it. I mean, there's some angels and some protection, but a lot of times we misuse that word, right? There are things we can't explain, things we don't understand, but when we define Jesus' greatness, it is truly on display in what he did, the miracles he performed, things only God can do, and at the top of the list, of things only God can do is that, raise people from the dead. And Luke recorded this event because he didn't want you to miss it. In fact, only three times in Jesus' ministry did he do that. He healed a lot of people. He did a lot of amazing things. But that rare occasion, three times, his greatness was found in what he did. And God doesn't want you to miss that. It matters to know that he was God. But that isn't the only don't miss moment in this text. And the likelihood is good that you've read this before, heard this story before, and you've missed the other moment. It's only a few words, and the reason why we miss it is because of that miracle. <laughs> Just so that you catch it. Remember verse 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. Like most people are defined as great or the greatest of all time based on what they do, like the list of accomplishments. Like sports and athletes, the greatest of all time is defined by the what? 
Like, who's the greatest Olympian of all time? Top of the list, most people would say Michael Phelps. Why? Because he wears a whole lot more gold, silver, and bronze than anybody who's ever lived. He can do things that no one else could do. But Jesus' greatness is not just the what. It's that. Like as his crowd is going into town, as that crowd is exiting town, the Lord saw her. Like you probably didn't catch that, but you don't want to miss the moment as Luke records it. In verses 11 and 12, and then lower down below, Luke records by inspiration Jesus' given name. Jesus. Jesus. But in this rare occasion, Luke changes the name and makes sure loud and clear by verbal inspiration that we know it was the Lord. But that's God's saving name. The God of mercy and compassion. The God who loves mankind. The God who so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. See, what Jesus' greatness is not just about what he did, and he did things that no one else did or could ever do, like raising people from the dead, but it's also about the why. The heart that was behind it. His heart went out to her. And that's what makes Jesus great. Not just what he did, his accomplishments, the miracles, but the why. Like, I don't want to get in much trouble with you Packer fans. There's a quarterback here in town who's really great. His stats reinforce it. All the MVPs prove it. But I think you and I would both have to admit, he, he doesn't do any of those things for you. He does them for him. I'm like, and I don't need to reinforce that based on some circumstances that all of you have seen displayed. And that's okay. And that's most people. Like, they work hard, they train hard in athletics or in other arenas to accomplish the what, but it usually doesn't have others in mind. It's probably never, ever the definition of our greatness for the most part. But it's probably more important when it comes to Jesus' greatness. And when you put them all together, you truly understand the greatness of Jesus. What he did and why he did it. And only a few years later, that very same person who on the streets of Nain that day encountered people on the way out who raised the dead was led out of a city and he didn't look so great. Like on that Friday when, when Jesus was headed for the cross, not a single person on the streets would said, that's my symbol of greatness. That's what greatness looks like. In fact, Rome did that so you would look anything but great. The bloody mess, the crucified message was, don't mess. 
And yet the night before, Jesus summed up perfectly the why and the what of his greatness. As he gathered with his disciples, he said this about greatness, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Both what and why. And that, my friends, while so many people in the world of Jesus' day would not have looked at the cross as the ultimate picture of greatness, for you and me it is. The what of it, willing to sacrifice his life even though he had done nothing wrong, and the why behind it, you and me, that widow that day, and and like everyone else like her, Jesus' heart goes out to us, to a broken world, to rescue us from sin so that we someday might experience greatness. Which is exactly what he predicted. In John chapter 5, he said, The Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. Jesus, talking to his disciples, said, You're seeing greatness. But here's the thing about the greatness that you see. My greatness, God's greatness, a result of of my greatness is you will see even greater things than these. (laughs) Say what? Like greater things than dead people rising? Greater things than walking on water? Greater things than feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fish? Greater things than the the deaf hearing, the the blind seeing, the, the cripple walking, the dead being raised? Yes. And you and I will see it too. Like, I think that's one of the greatest things about this miracle that reveals Jesus' greatness. We see the heart behind it, his love for for hurting people for a broken world. We see the, the what of it. He was able to raise dead people. And we live in a broken world where we lose people all the time. And there's nothing great about it. But you know what Jesus wanted them to know and you to know because of his greatness? It's not the final statement. Look at what Jesus says at the end of these verses. For just as the Father raises the dead, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but is crossed over from death to life. The greatness of God has crossed you over from death to life. Hell is not your final destination. You get the achievements and all the awards and all the accolades and everything that Jesus won. You have life with God now and for eternity. And very truly, Jesus said, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. The widow at Nain's son heard the voice of God and he came back to life. And there will come a time when the loved ones that you have had a hope broken heart over who've been buried and you've watched it Jesus will do the same thing for them, and he will do it for you one day. He will raise you from the dead. And there's no one who can do that but God. You know what God's greatness, Jesus' greatness means for you and for me? The one who died on the cross, who rose from the tomb, his greatness leads to greater things for you and for me. The greatness of God 
And the why behind it means you and I have crossed over from death to life. Remember what Jesus said by the tomb of his friend where he wept? People sometimes have wondered, have you ever asked, why did Jesus weep when he knew he was going to raise Lazarus a few seconds later? He wept because he saw the brokenness and the hurt and the pain that, that death brings as a result of sin. And he came to break the power of sin and death and give life to you and to me. And he wants you to hold on to that just like Martha and Mary knew. Martha and her words were so powerful. I know you're the resurrection and life. And Jesus said, whoever lives and believes in me, even though they die, will live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. If you've lost the loved one, it is painful. It is not great. But that loved one who believes in the Lord, the moment they breathe their last, they're experiencing greater things, life with God. And one day, you know what God's going to do for you and for me, for Adam and for Eve, for, for the disciples who died 2,000 years ago? He's going to take our bodies out of the ground when he returns, and he will raise them to be like his glorious body. And that's why Jesus' greatness matters. Like, we can have all the debates we want about who the GOAT is, football, basketball, musically, presidency, medically, whatever you want. But on the streets of Nain that day, Jesus left no doubt. And he defines greatness for us differently than most in the world ever will. And thankfully, we know it. Jesus' greatness is not just about what he did. There, there, but also the why he did it. We're just sitting right here. Jesus' greatness, it truly stands the test of time. And I pray it's a moment that you haven't missed today and you'll never forget. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, like there's nothing great about losing someone. And yet you sent your son into this world so that we wouldn't be lost for eternity. Jesus said, greater love is no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. And he did it. It's the, it's the what he did, but also the why. Each and every one of us. His heart, your heart, went out for us. So thank you, Lord, for this don't miss moment. We can see the power that Jesus has, the greatness that he's worthy of because of all the things that he did that only God can do. But right alongside of it, it's not just about the great accomplishments and miracles. It's the heart and the why for us.